Broncos All-Decade Tackle Orlando Franklin. Two-time All-Pro linebacker Chad Brown. Former Broncos tight end and New York Times best-selling author Nate Jackson. 104.3 The Fan welcomes you into the Players Club. Wowzers. TJ Hawkinson just signed a four-year, $68.5 million extension. Mm. Resetting the tight end market, according to Adam Schefter. Will Greg Dulcich someday command that kind of dollars? We shall see. That's the hope. Hope is not a strategy, Orlando. Haven't you heard people say that? Yeah, Uh, it is definitely not a strategy, mate. uh, The Denver Broncos putting out a tweet here saying that we've signed nose tackle Mike Purcell, cornerback Fabian Moreau, and tackle Quinn Bailey and placed three players on injured reserve. So, uh... Broncos not done fleshing out this roster and moving guys around. And, you know, we found out that Marquez Callaway uh, got picked up on the Raiders practice squad. Mm-hmm. Similar to what we're doing with, with uh, what's what's his face? Philip Dorsett. Yeah. Trying to get, trying, trying to glean some information. You, you think, think that that's what think, it was? You think Joshy Boy's trying to do the same thing? I mean, Callaway knows Sean Payton's system. He Mate, played. You, you know Josh is a cheater. You played for him. He probably has the <laughs> locker oh, no, room bug. Play for him. No, sorry, but you I did. This out of here. I did sit across from him. I was in the building rehabbing an injury when he was hired, and he moved in, and you know, Shanny moved out, and all that, and it was weird watching him take all the. Shanahan pictures and posters, everything off the wall, like all the of all the Broncos greats. They took everything off the wall. Wow. And all of a sudden, there was Josh McDaniel sitting in Mike Shanahan's big office. He looked like a little kid sitting in the cockpit of a plane. Like, hey, do you want to see the cockpit, little guy? Here's a, here's your wings, you know? And his buddy was, was the secretary, and he was just like, it was a really surreal Isn't experience. Rather like the quarterback coach or something like that? It's just something yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, the, the boys on the drive yesterday were... We're counting down the worst Bronco coaches of all time. Oh, they were? Yeah. Nice. D-Mac made no Sean Moreno do that. Wow. Um, but I think lost in, in that little discussion, D-Mac said that the, the best of all time was Gary Kubiak. He said he Kubes was better than Mike Shanahan. Mm. You have thoughts on that? You think Gary Kubiak was a better Broncos head coach than Mike Shanahan? Man. No, I don't. I, I think, you know, every player that I've ever talked to that played under Coobs absolutely loved him. And I think Coobs did some things where he kind of reinvented the game. You don't need to be in the building all day, every day. Uh, veterans, you don't need to move into this hotel for training camp. Hmm. Like Shani did that, though. She did what? The veterans got to stay home? Yep. Okay, nice. So that was... Just some of the biggest differences I noticed from when I went from John Fox to, to having Fox in between Shanny and um, Kubiak, right? But um, next thing I, I know for a fact that, and I'm pretty sure that Shanahan was like that too, just big on team camaraderie. Like almost basically mandated, like the defense go out to dinner once a week and the offense go out mm. to dinner once a week. So kind of just building that camaraderie. But... Ultimately, when you look at kind of Mike Shanahan and what he's done for the game of football, yeah, I, I would think that for me that's what would give him the edge. I agree with that, and I, I played for Coob as well as an offensive coordinator, not a head coach, but he was a stellar coach. He was able to kind of 
toe the line between former player and, and coach and articulate Mike Shanahan's vision to us as an offense. And he was a fantastic head coach as well, brought a Super Bowl to the city, uh, was able to kind of bring together the Peyton Manning Broncos in a way that Foxy wasn't able to do in his own way. But at the same time, Mike Shanahan is, is the GOAT around here, my opinion. I mean, you, he won back-to-back Super Bowls. And what he did for so many people, you talk about the ripple effect of, of his influence still today in this league. And, and, you know, Kubiak was a part of that. He learned under Mike Shanahan. So um, hard to go wrong with those two guys. But at the bottom of the list, they put Plus at the same Josh time, McDaniels. You know, with that, Mike Shanahan built it. Right? Coops was given the keys to a Lamborghini and said, hey, I know we're in dri- you're driving this thing in the city, so you can't really cut it loose. You're in bumper and buffer traffic. But just don't crash this thing. Like it was, it was pretty set. Like, like that job coming available at that time, man. Yeah, I forgot who else was on the radar, but you know what? I'll come out of retirement for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all right. So, um, Sean Payton's got a tall task ahead of him. It's not just about you know getting his team to play better. It's getting them to win games against other teams who are also getting better. The Broncos aren't just getting better in a vacuum. They're not just performing against themselves. They have to play the best team on the planet twice a year. They have to play a really good team in the Chargers twice a year. They have to play the Raiders twice a year. And we don't know what the Raiders are going to be yet, but by all accounts, they're improving. Yay. Um, But Russell Wilson last year left a lot to be desired. 4-11 as a starter, uh, 16 touchdowns to 11 picks. He was sacked 55 times, a career-low completion percentage at 60.5. So a lot of question marks around Russell Wilson and his ability to return to form. And that form being, what, 10 years ago? Seven years ago? Um, here is Sean Payton yesterday talking about Russell Wilson's ability to pick up the offense. Oh, we don't have that? Okay, we don't have that. All right. I guess I'll read the quote. <clears throat> really good. <laughs> He's a tireless worker. At times we try to take tags he's familiar with, play design-wise, because we're installing it for the first time, and if it's something that's clean for him, we can adjust. Today we added a couple things for third down and red zone that we think we're going to use throughout the regular season. Back to the earlier question, today was still more install and a little bit more training camp driven than it was next week driven. Are you surprised, Orlando, that he hasn't already installed the, the offense, that they're still installing? And and was that a compliment to Russ, or was it basically because he he also said at times we try to take tags he's familiar with and, and let him call them what he used to call them, essentially. Mm-hmm. Is is that an indication that Russell is struggling to pick up the offense? They haven't installed it all yet, and they're adjusting the verbiage so he can get it. Okay, so a lot to unpack there. Just want to comment first on the whole install aspect. Love it. Absolutely love it. You have 90 people there in training camp. You're going to cut it all down, and uh, different people are going to end up on practice squads. Other guys are going to end up on other people's practice squads. You can't give them all the goods, man. You can't sit there and install your whole mm. area package. Because mm, he knew that. He Some was... people are going to end up on other teams. He's playing chess. So especially in that quote you talked about, installing red area, where you're going to kind of carry that and, and do it all throughout the year. There are certain concepts, certain things that you're going to be looking to do. When I was in San Francisco two years ago coaching, they had um, their up-tempo package, like your turbo on-the-ball package. They wouldn't even allow you guys to get a copy of that thing, Nate. Like, it was just installed in training camp up up on the board and, like, talked about. 
but they didn't put it in guys' iPads. And they didn't do that because understanding that people were going to be in and out. It wasn't until after the team was made, the 53-man roster and the practice squad was set, that's when you actually got a physical copy of it. So I like this approach by Sean Payton, not you know just you know, installing everything and allowing everybody to know what we're trying to do. And you're not going to run everything in, in preseason games as well. So that typically happens with this the week right before the week of work, before the game. As far as the verbis thing goes, I got no beef with that. If you want to change up some verbiage because Russell Wilson's a little bit more comfortable with it, that means that you're looking at yourself as a coach and you recognize that there's a problem and you're not saying, hey, I'm going to be stubborn and you have to do it my way. I think there's always a place for that in coaching. VJ talked about the same thing earlier this year, right? Getting here, understanding this was a defense that was already playing at a pretty high level and they were calling things a certain thing. And so he learned their words. Mm -hmm. He learned their verbiage. And it made it easier. It's easier for one, or you know, a, 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 a one guy and his buddies, like the coaches, to learn some new stuff than the entire players, uh, you know, team to learn a new system of speaking about it because that confuses you out on the field, right? Um, trying to think about what something is called, mm. you know what to do, but you got to call it something to tell another guy what it is, and you can you can end up being confused that way. All right. So Sean Payton was also asked how his personality meshes. With quarterback Russell Wilson, and bear with me, I'm going to have to do my Sean Payton again because mm. we don't have the sound. Let's have it. Listen, it, it works. I think in, in the very beginning with all these guys, I'll be sarcastic with them and, and have fun with them. Look, uh, we're trying to create as much um, – what does that say? Oh, gosh. Uh, back to the earlier question. Today was still more install and a little bit more training camp driven than it was next week driven. Um, that's back to the same. It's back to the same conversation we were just having. But I think um, let's talk about personality of, of, of a head coach or an off- offensive play caller and the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Do they have to get along? Do they have to be – why are you laughing? Hell, yeah, they got to get along. Really? Absolutely. Um, I, I wouldn't want to not get along with the person that's trying to get me out there to call plays. If I'm Russell Wilson, especially with how last year went – I definitely want everything to get along with me and Sean Payton. Heck yeah, they got to get along. I think they got to have that 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 line of communication has to be the best on the entire football team, the play caller and the quarterback. There's going to be certain times this year where Russ is going to wave Sean Payton off in the hurry up mode, trying to go, 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 keep the defense on the field. There's going to be times where Sean Payton is going to be very adamant that, hey, Russ, you have to do this in this situation. And I just think when you have a good relationship and you guys get along, it's, it's, it's better. I agree. But there's also some tension, you know, that exists and that is okay to exist. Like sometimes the quarterback is going to rely on instinct and sometimes the, 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 the coach doesn't want you to. He wants you to see the, the formula, the problem in front of you that has one solution, right? Mm-hmm. Like Jake Plummer and, and Mike Shanahan used to butt, butt heads because Jake was a very instinctual player and Mike had a plan and there's an answer to every coverage they show out there and sometimes Jake would go off of that or outside of that plan and that would ruffle some feathers and ultimately, does it result in wins? Yeah. You know, I mean, do, like, do you want to hamstring the instinct of your quarterback and fill his head with all these uh, mathematical equations and answers when really his athletic ability and instinct as a football player is what's going to carry you to win sometimes. As long as the off schedule amounts to wins, like you just said, Nate, you should be great with it. But when the off schedule 
amounts to interceptions, sacks, loss of downs. At that point, that coach is going to have even more of a problem, right? So you see it all the time. No, 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 yes! <laughs> right. Yes, right? Uh, my famous no, 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 yes one is um, Ed Reed gets the interception for the Ravens. And, you know, Coach Harbaugh saying, go down, Ed, go. Or somebody saying, go down. And they're like, yes, Ed, yes, Ed, go, Ed, go. <laughs> right? It goes from, like, go down with the interception because he just got the interception in the end zone to what is this guy doing to, oh, my goodness gracious, go, go, go. Right. Right? So does the off schedule can you win with the off schedule? And ultimately, that's why we see Trey Lance get traded out there and Brock Purdy now becoming the starting quarterback because nobody was able to ever predict it off schedule-wise that Brock Purdy was going to be that good that he was last year. And, and Russell Wilson's an off-schedule guy. Something's going something's got to give because Russell has been known to go off script and take a chance that maybe Sean Payton or offensive coaches might think are unnecessary in the moment when there's a guy open underneath. We'll see how that goes. All right, we got to do this again, guys. America's favorite car show returns to the Rockies for its 40th anniversary season of cool cars, cool people, good times. See over 2,000 of the country's finest 1998 and older hot rods, trucks, customs, muscle cars, and classics on display at the good guys. 25th Grundy Insurance Colorado Nationals presented by Griot's Garage. This is the weekend of September 8th through the 10th, so grab your family and come on out. Check out Good Guys Classic Performance Products Auto Car Racing Series action featuring the Western States Shootout on Saturday. Experience a tire smoking burnout competition, earth shaking nitro thunderfest vintage dragster exhibition. Shop the swap meet, cars for sale corral, and vendor midway. Enjoy live music and bring the little ones to the free kids zone. On Sunday, see which rides take home the top awards of the weekend including Builder's Choice Award by Eric Peratt of Picky's Rod Shop. Also on Sunday, American-made or powered late models of all years are welcome for our Meguiar's All-American Sunday celebration. Hang with the good guys where real car people come to play. We are doing our giveaway again. Four tickets available to the Good Guys Car Show right now. Pick up your phone. Give us a call. 303-713-1043 for the Good Guys Car Show. It's the Players Club on the fan. Welcome back to the Players Club. We're having a good time here on a Thursday morning, August 31st, man. Summer is gone officially. To me, September 1 is when fall officially starts. Do you feel that? Like the official end of summer is today. It's it's over after after today. August. Uh, really? How do you how do you view it? Now for me it's like kids go back to school. This one the two kids weeks go back ago. To school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two weeks ago summer was over. Yeah. Now. Like that's how I kind of view it. But um don't we have a couple more weeks of summer technically? Technically, yeah, it's like it's September twenty first, twenty second or whatever. Okay. Um, so, so, but with you, it's just always been so September, September one. man. September yeah. one, summer's done. It makes it easy. August had its fun. Right you now, it's time be, to move forward into the football season too. You're either into school or preparing to go back to school. You're either, you know, and you with football, you've already kind of finished and you're getting ready for games now. Yeah. Right? Yep. Well, you're getting ready for some games. You're calling games for ESPN, my man. Yes, sir. Are you ready for this challenge? No, I'm not. But it will be on uh, Saturday once it kicks off. <laughs> what are you most nervous about? 
I'm messing up guys' names. Yep. I, I don't want to do these guys a disservice and, and botch somebody's name because at the end of the day, you know, whenever you are out there, you are representing that college or university, but also that last name. And with some of these guys, this will be the biggest moments of their lives, right? Yep. They, they won't get to go to the next level. They yep. won't get that opportunity. So for me, it's really just dialing in and making sure that I don't mess somebody's name up. Yeah, and you want to honor that effort that they're putting out there Yeah, by getting their names right. You're going to do a great job. It may not be perfect the first time. Oh, like just like it wasn't your first game you ever played football-wise. Yeah. But you got better. Yeah, you got to get better, right? You got to put the work in behind the scenes and make sure you're ready to go. So we're talking about uh, tension between quarterbacks and head coaches. Yeah. And whether or not that's good for a team or bad for a team. Um, good for the offense, bad for the offense. Now, there's been some relationships in the past, historically tense relationships between head coach and a quarterback that really worked out. Bill Walsh and Joe Montana. Mm-hmm. Bill Belichick, Tom Brady. And what about Gary Kubiak and, and Peyton Manning? I mean, I know you weren't on the team, but... Um, I don't think Peyton had an issue with Kubes. It was more upper management in that situation uh, with Elway and, you know, that pay cut and all these mm-hmm. different things. And you know, once you got the head coach, if you, you as the player, you understand that there's going to be certain things that you don't like, like with Peyton, right? I mean, such so used to being that pocket passer. Well, now he's in his upper 30s, his late 30s, and now you got to run this wide zone scheme. And he's got to get on his horse to get the ball out there. Yeah, and because it's a certain track for the running back. Yeah, But I don't think that that creates any friction. That's a part of this offense. This is why this offense is successful, and ultimately that makes other things easier in this offense. I wonder how Peyton felt, though, about changing up, like, the offense he's going to run like that late in his career, you know, when his physical probably abilities had declined a little bit, not as fast as he used to be, might might pull a groin trying to make that handoff on a wide zone yeah. play. But he did it. You know, he did it because it's about the team, right? It's about the team, but you also as the players, we're taught we got to trust the process, right? Yeah. But, you, I mean, you look at last year with Nathaniel Hackett, and instead of bringing his team in and, and telling him, here's my offense, you're going to learn it, I'm going to work with you on terminology and things and maybe call some things similar terms to what you're used to calling it. But this is my offense. I'm going to teach you my offense. Instead of that, he's like, hey, Russ, what do you like to do? All right, well, here's what I like to do. Let's come together, you know, and let's make this offense unique. I think the gears that Nathaniel Hackett spent with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay didn't necessarily help him. Helped him in the fact of he got an opportunity to become a head coach in this league but didn't necessarily help him because he saw a, a Hall of Fame quarterback. He saw how that quarterback operated, and he thought that basically all Hall of Fame quarterbacks operate the same exact way as well in that. That's what I believe. And it's easy to fall into that thought line of thought because I remember being here and, and then going from Kyle Orton to Tim Tebow to Peyton Manning and playing in front of Peyton for three years. And I thought that how Peyton was that every quarterback was like this now demanded like yo you're messing up like no you need to be at your spot getting on guys getting up in people's grills like making each and every person better the tide that raises all boats and then i got to the chargers and i was shocked to see that even though philip rivers was this spicy human being and so you know animated and with all the theatrics he wasn't that type of guy he couldn't get the best out of his teammates so i could understand somewhat what happened to Nathaniel Hackett last year? Philip Rivers, a Hall of Famer? 
yes, not a first ballot, but he'll get there someday. Absolutely. So it's got to be, you know, no marriage is perfect. No marriage is perfect. You got to communicate. There can be tension. But the Sean Payton-Russell Wilson marriage is going to be interesting to watch this unfold because Sean Payton does come from, let's just call it, a, sort of a controlling approach to dealing with a quarterback. He, he, he knows what he wants it to look like. Mm. So what's going to happen when he dials up a perfect play in the third or the fourth quarter that, that has been set up in the first and the second quarters and the guy's wide open, you're trying to get open, and Russell turns that down for a different shot takes another shot, it gets intercepted. What happens when Russell Wilson comes to the sideline after he, a play like that? He will get chewed out. And that's what I said before training camp started. I said, Russ is going to have the greatest hit. Sean Payton's not naive. He's not a, a no, you can't be, you can't be a fool when you're a coach. You've got to have the greatest hits in what a guy does successful and what a guy does great. You want those things in the playbook. But for me, it was always about Russell Wilson coming into training camp, learning how Sean Payton thinks, learning where to go with the ball versus the different coverages and showing him that, hey, I could have the same thought process as you. Now, if he goes off schedule, it better be, you better be winning. Like, you better go win that. Like, right. it better it better work. It better work, yeah. right? Or you're, you're going to get chewed out. And if you keep on going down that road, like, it's not going to be a situation where you go off schedule one time and he gets benched. Like, you don't think that, right, Nate? No. No, I don't. So no. he's got to do it over and over and over again in yeah. order for there to be repercussions. Yeah. And I, I don't think Russell Wilson's going to be that guy that's doing it over and over and over again. I don't think Sean Payton's going to allow it. I think that after it happens, like the first two or three times, there's going to be a, hey, a, a head coach and quarterback meeting. And it's going to be that's going to be eradicated. That's going to be fixed. Sean Payton is a, a very detail oriented, process oriented guy. And um, as we go along in this show, uh, I'm going to read a quote that he's, he he said yesterday about how much he loves just diving into the film and how much he missed that last week. I'm sorry, that last season when he was at Fox, watching film over and over and picking up on something, a tendency that they do, and then putting that into your game plan and that ended up being the reason why you win or lose a game. If he picks up on a tendency and puts that into the game plan and gives that to Russell and then Russell in the moment of truth doesn't make that play, then they're going to have some problems. Hopefully that won't happen. But Sean Payton brought out your kryptonite, Rob Ninkovich out to practice yesterday with the Broncos. And uh, you guys got to stick around and hear why it's a pretty cool reason it's the Players Club on the fan. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Everybody wants to rule the world. Everybody Love this song at the end of a great night. Without with the fellas, 
you know, I feel like that's when this plays. Mm. Closing time. Closing time. Right around closing the time that closing time plays as right. well. About one, yeah. <laughs> what are, some of those other songs that will elicit a lot of uh, goodwill in those inebriated moments in packed bars. Mm. Your Love by The Outfield. I don't know if you know that song. Yep. Josie's on a vacation far away. And then uh, Living on a Prayer mm-hmm. by Bon Jovi. You want to hear a bunch of drunk white people sing in, in unison? Why do they have to be white? Um, it just usually is. I'm joining in. Why do they got to be drunk? I'm joining in. Okay. <laughs> well, you're 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 big old man. You can you're a chameleon. You can go anywhere and do anything. <laughs> All right. So Sean Payton uh, was asked about well what he did in 2022. Did you miss coaching and and and? and how much he missed the game planning for opponents during his year away from coaching. Here he is. A lot. Just the film, what you miss. You, you miss finding something, and then it comes up in the game. Look, then you win the game by whatever, and you realize how significant it was. All of us offensively within the framework of our offense, look, are diving into the opponent and finding the right balance in week one. Uh, I'm not having too much, but... Good answers. You know, there's a little serenity. There's some quiet in the evenings when you're watching tape and, you're, and you see certain things relative to, look, you're, you're always looking for behavior patterns of the opponents. So when you're able to find something and then you, you see it work in the game, it's, it's pretty fulfilling. It's hard to get that anywhere else. Mm. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> that was uh, well put right there. Did did you feel a same sort of when you got back into football? Oh, and you were in those coaches' meetings, and you were game planning, and you were looking at tendencies. Did it scratch that kind of that same itch that you had as a player, or was it even more? Was it even more fulfilling as a coach? The mental part of it. It was more fulfilling. Um, as a coach, it was different. You know, when I was playing in the in the league, yeah, I cared about the offense and I wanted to score as many touchdowns as possible. But you woke up every single day and you showed up and it was about your craft. It was about picking something in your game and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to get better in order to help the team. You're, you're a chain on that link, right? Uh, you're a link on that chain. When you're the coach now, you're the person that wears that chain. You know, how, how strong is each and every link? And you're trying to now get the absolute best out of that player that's in front of you. And there's no other feeling, whether it's the NFL level or, you know, just peewee football, little league. When that light bulb goes off and you could see from a coach's aspect that that light bulb just went off for that person, man, there's there's no better feeling in the world. I just, when I, when I hear Sean Payton, like I just heard him mm-hmm. talk about, how much he loves just sitting, watching film, and letting it wash over you. Because these coaches, man, you guys don't understand how much time they spend up in those rooms watching film. The more film you watch, the more you start to understand a play. A football play can look really chaotic when you see it for the first time, right? And so when you watch it in person, you don't really get a lot of what's happening. Because it's 22 bodies moving in different directions, all with a very specific job. You watch the broadcast. You don't even fully really get what you're looking at. It's when you watch the All-22 and you watch the same play 7, 8, 9, 10 times, 11, 12. You watch one guy Mm. 4, 5, 6, 7 times. 
the, the, it starts to come together, right? Oh. And you start to see why things are happening. And then you start to have ideas of how you can exploit those tendencies and you put it into your game plan. And I just wonder, you know, was Nathaniel Hackett doing that? Was he that dialed into kind of his role as a play caller and an offensive leader? Or was he worried about so many other things? I think that, well, we know he wasn't doing that. I know that Russell Wilson wasn't doing that last year as well. You know, you'd see Russ check into a play, and like I said, he might have thought that this is a great play for me in this situation. It might be a great play for the, the player that I'm trying to get the ball to, but I'm on my third string right tackle. I'm on my backup center. I'm on my you know second string left tackle. Right now, um, can these guys hold up? Probably not. So, you know, you look at, um, I love the fact that you just talked about watching it over and over and over again because football is compelled of 11 individual battles when you're out there on the field. You can't see it. You don't understand the whole thing. You don't understand if a person got to their depth, that they fell down, what exactly happened to on that play. You're just focused on your job. But yet it all if it all comes together, you could have a great success. And sometimes you, you could still not be successful, right? Every play is a touchdown. If everybody gets their block and it all happens, but yet you watch a game of football and they have these long drives. So you look at it for me last year with like Nathaniel Hackett, I think Nathaniel Hackett just said, man, you know what? I got a quarterback that's won a lot of football games. He's going to take care of a lot of this for, for me instead of, building it where guys understood that they're a part of that chain, that they can't be the weakest link. And if you are the weakest link, man, you should be fighting each and every day to make sure that that's not you or so that you change that. My rookie year, Brandon Lloyd called me aside like eight days into training camp and said, dude, right now you're the weakest link. And like, we're not going to be successful. And, you know, I was frustrated. I, I was like, I can't believe this guy that said this to me. But at the same time, there was truth in that, whether it was because I didn't have an off season or, or I wasn't caught up to speed. But they were counting on me, and my approach changed almost immediately, where now each and every day I was working to make sure that I wasn't the weakest link. Last year, Broncos had a lot of weak links. I think Sean Payton comes in, and he understands that. And if you are the weak link, how do you make it so that you're not, but also make sure that you're playing for your teammates? And I think that's why the Broncos will have a lot of more success this year. There are some who believe you should always only just lean on your strengths, only just do the thing you're good at and never work on the things you're, you're weak at. But being a good teammate in the NFL is about working on your weaknesses. It's about getting better at the things that maybe you didn't know you were going to have to do coming in or getting better at the things that weren't your strengths. or that, you, know, you get drafted because, for example, you just love the running game, just love crushing people. Yeah. You have to work on your, on your drops. Right or or your or your, your, kicks, your slides and your kick steps and so yeah. all that stuff. I had to work on my blocking as a tight end. I had to work on being a special teams player. I had to work on my weaknesses. You every every single athlete does, and even in this, every person in life does. If you're not working on the things you're weak at, and you're just leaning on your strengths, you're only half as good as you really could be. Um, Sean Payton knows that his team is going to be rounded out by. Guys with all sorts of stories. It doesn't really matter how you got here. But he brought a guy out to practice who had a very unique story and taught Sean Payton a very humbling lesson. You as well. He taught you a lesson too, Big O. We're going to get into uh, why Rob Ninkovich was out of practice. That's next. 
Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Well, I'm running down the road trying to loosen my load. I got seven women on my mind. Four that want to hold me, two that want to stone me, one so she's a friend of mine. Well, Take it you know, easy. yeah, I like it, Dante. I mean, I wasn't Take expecting this. But I like it. This wasn't the, uh, the Limp Biscuit break stuff that we talked about or uh, Let the Bodies Hit the Floor or any sort of angry music. No, this is the opposite, man. Maybe we just need to roll down the window and just relax and have a good time, twiddle our mustaches and just uh, love one another, right? Because it is a beautiful day, and it is the last day of August. So take it easy. Take it easy. On the RamosLaw.com text line, earlier I threw out this... Uh, idea that the Nebraska women's volleyball team played in front of more people than the Broncos ever had. They had over 92,000 come to their volleyball match a couple days ago. A very intelligent RamosLaw.com texter pointed out the Broncos have played in front of more people. Um, 101,063 people came to the Rose Bowl in Pasadena on January 25th, 1987 to watch the Broncos lose to the Giants. 39-20. to Now, the Broncos were ahead after the first quarter. They were ahead at halftime. 10-9. to But the Giants came out, scored 17 unanswered points in the third, 13 in the fourth. Broncos were able to put up 10 points in the the fourth quarter, but 39-20. to So the halftime adjustments weren't very good for the Denver Broncos that day. But also, the Broncos played in front of 104,209 in 1997 in Mexico City. Wow. 104,000 people. Yeah, that's awesome. Broncos, Dolphins. <laughs> that's so cool, man. You just don't hear those numbers in, in the NFL. Yeah. Right? You're used to, you know, 60s to mid-70s. Do you wish there were more seats here at Empower Field? I mean, if they build a new stadium, should they make it a higher capacity? Uh, no. I, I already have trouble getting out of there as it is. I'm good with uh, the amount of people that's there. Uh yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, but at the same time, you know, who doesn't want the biggest, right? When, when you, if you have an opportunity, if you're building something, you know that there's going to be teams to come after you because you're not going to build a new stadium like every 10 years or something like that. So you're trying to make it the best possible thing that you can. So if the space supports it, so I'll be it. But right now, I think the capacity is kind of right where it needs to be at for where Empower Field is at. I like it too, man. Right in, right in the, like the mid-70s, right? Yeah. You feel that thing. It's it's plenty loud. I've been in that Empower Field a couple times when it was it was so loud you couldn't hear yourself think. The loudest I ever heard that place was well, actually two two times. It was Champ Bailey's interception of Tom Brady in, uh, in the playoffs when he took it the distance. Mm. And it was Demarius Thomas's touchdown with Tim T. Oh, I was on the field for that. I was there with us. So loud. I was there with Charlie and Matt Mock. We were up in this suite watching the game. Yeah, that was an incredible moment because it was so unexpected. Yeah, it was so surprising. Oh, surreal. Yeah, Tebow, best throw of his life. Right, drops back. In overtime, like we were talking about it on the sideline, and Mike McCoy was just like, "Listen, O line, you gotta sell out." You sell out, Troy Polamalu is going to come downhill screaming for the run. <laughs> Dude, I, I literally fired off on, on 
break, break his soul. I was like five yards down the field. And then like had to like duck walk backwards to make sure I didn't get the penalty for like, oh, really? a legal man down the field. Oh, really? On the play. Yeah, just absolutely sold out. And so when you saw him catch that ball and he's running, are you running with him? Oh, yeah, I'm flying down the field. I, yeah. I was one of the first people in the end zone like it, to go celebrate with him. Right when he gets out of the tunnel, I give him a high five. And then I turn around and start jogging to go kick the field goal. Then I realized that the game was over. There were so many people on the field. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> first, new, uh, first time of that new, the new overtime rules. So, okay, so in your memory, because I, because I, because I was up there and it was as loud as I've ever heard that stadium. Mm. Did you hear it, or is it like? Oh yeah, you heard it. Or is it like just the like your your adrenaline's going so much you don't hear anything? Oh, I heard it. I, I heard every bit of it. Uh, it. Like the roof came off. Were y'all crying at all? Was there tears? Um, tears. No, no tears. Maybe, maybe a tear when you got home. Another game check coming next week. You know, maybe, maybe some people like taking that. a pay cut though. Uh, yeah, that was the crazy thing about that. Like everybody made the same amount, but Tebow had like some crazy thing in his contract where like if he won a playoff game, he would get a substantial bump. And I'm talking like the bump that he got, basically like. Multiply like what twenty guys got like oh, for the real? whole starting unit on defense, whole starting unit on deep offense because they thought, made more because they thought it was so <laughs> unlikely that it would happen. Maybe and he proved them wrong. Hey, good for him and his agent for getting that in the contract. Yep. All right, I, I do want to get into Rob Ninkovich really quick before we get out of here because you talked about him being your kryptonite, um, three sacks in three games when you played against them. But Rob Ninkovich was drafted by the Saints in late rounds, and they let him go. And Sean Payton brought him in and told him that <laughs> the only way he's going to make it in this league is if he's a long snapper. Wow. And that he's he's just going to have to find another spot. Well, New England was that spot. And Bill Belichick um, had a vision for him, and Sean Payton talked about that vision, that that vision was clearer than his was, and he went on to play and made an all-century team, won two Super Bowls as an outside linebacker. And so Sean Payton wanted him to come in, spend a little time with the outside linebackers, spend some time with uh, outside linebackers coach Michael Wilhoyt and the defensive coaches, and he's done media. And, of course, that's you know a, a, a genre Sean Payton's familiar with as well now. But um, talk a little bit about, if you can, about, the, maybe the lesson that a coach learns in that and, and ha- the importance of having a vision for every player that you bring in because you are choosing to bring these guys in. So if if you don't have a vision for each and every one of them, you're missing out on something. Yeah, I think it's very important, the vision, obviously. But, you know, even before that, Nate, I think it's understanding everything, the makeup of that player. I think that's the hardest part of a coach's job. Each and every individual is different. How does that person learn? How does Orlando learn versus Nate Jackson? Right? I'm a person that I could sit down, I could talk football at a very high level. You could explain it to me and I could see it in my head. Certain guys, you got to go and watch the film in order for them to do it. Certain guys have to like put it in the memory bank by doing it on the football field and creating that muscle memory. So, you know, as a coach... That's your main job, step one, understanding what makes this person motivated. Everybody, I think, out there on football fields have the ability, or you wouldn't be here. They all have some kind of athleticism, right? So once you figure all these things out, now it becomes a question of how do I get the best out of this player? 
is that in a 4-3 system, 3-4 system, right? So you're constantly trying to get that player and, and, and get the best out of him. And then when you do get the best out of him, how do you take it to another level? Or do you put a cap on that person's ability? So as a coach in the NFL or high school or college, like you should never be content with what your players are giving you because the human body responds, man. That that's what we do. I mean, you put guys in certain situations and they're able to accomplish things that you never would have thought. We all heard the story about, you know, the mother that, that the child is in danger and what they're able to do or or see or hear these amazing things that people have been able to do because, you know, their their child has been in danger. Like that's what's so cool about the game of football that you never really I don't think you ever really cap your potential. You get there and you might be able to surpass it if you have the right people around you and you got to have a vision for each and every player on this team and it's not just the 53 Sean Payton talked about the 69 players on your team and uh, he's got a vision for each and every one of them and it's pretty cool to watch him talk about how he was humbled bring in one of his biggest mistakes and have this guy around to teach that lesson to people it shows that this man is uh is very secure in what he's experienced and he's uh he's ready to dial it up with his team all right we're going to do this one more time before we get out of there the good guys rod and custom association presents the 25th grundy insurance colorado nationals grios garage car show guys america's favorite car show is back for its 40th anniversary season of cool cars cool people good times Grab your family and friends, head on out to the Ranch Events Complex in Loveland the weekend of September 8th through the 10th for the Good Guys 25th Grundy Insurance Colorado Nationals presented by Griot's Garage. See over 2,000 of the country's finest 1998 and older hot rods, trucks, customs, muscle cars, and classics on display. Check out Good Guys Classic Performance Products, Autocross Racing Series, action featuring the Western State Shootout on Saturday. Experience a tire smoking burnout competition, earth shaking nitro, Thunderfest, vintage dragster exhibition. Shop the swap meet. Cars for sale, corral, and bender midway. Enjoy the live music, bring the little ones on to the free kids zone on Sunday. See which rides take home the top awards of the weekend, including Builder's Choice Awards by Eric Peratt of Pinky's Rod Shop. Also on Sunday, guys, American made or powered late models of all years are welcome for our McGuire's All-American Sunday Celebration. For complete details and to register your vehicle or purchase tickets, visit goodguys.com. That's G-O-O-D slash G-U-I-S dot com. Hang with the good guys where the real car people come to play. And right now we do have four more tickets available. If you got your phone in your hand and you'd like to attend this car show, pick up the phone right now, guys. Four tickets available, 303-713-1043. All right, L. Hey, could I say something really quick, brother? Of course. I just want to say thank you for coming to work this week because there's no way in hell I would have been able to do that read. (laughs) No worries, man. Hey, but guess what? You're about to get on a plane tomorrow, and you're going to have to do something a lot harder. So study up those names, buddy. Your ESPN debut is upon you. You're going to do a great job. We'll talk about it next week. That's it for us on the Players Club. Stick around. Stokely and Zach, they're next.